0: If and when you and I begin to live and to think and act quite frequently like missionaries to our own culture, that we will not be very far from the kingdom of God. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. The world that you and I live in is a very different place than the ancient Near East. In the West where we live our culture has created a sharp contrast between that which is considered religious and sacred and that which is secular. And the two are not supposed to meet. You can see this idea of a separation manifesting itself in a variety of ways in our culture. And even in a recent decision of the Supreme Court, which the majority of the court essentially said, you church folk can basically do and say anything you want as long as you are contained within the four walls of your building. But don't take this stuff to the streets. The people in Jesus' day thought very differently about the world around them. For them, sacred and mystical forces surrounded them wherever they went. Their culture was filled with a number of gods and demigods, and virtually every sphere of life was seen as having a god ruling over it. There was a god of the forest, god of the river, god of the storm, god of the harvest, god of the sun, Love, war, commerce, own and own and own. And each and every God was to be feared and appeased on a regular basis so that your life might go well. It was into this atmosphere that a local scribe approached Jesus one day and he asked him what Jesus thought was the most important commandment in all the Old Testament. Jesus answered immediately without hesitation, giving the guy kind of a two-for-one deal. Because he not only shared the greatest commandment, but the second most important commandment as well. And so, in Mark 12:29, Jesus said, "The most important one is this: Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul." with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. The second commandment Jesus gives actually comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 18. So if anyone ever comes to you and says that there's nothing important or relevant for a Christian in the book of Leviticus, you show them that right there, okay? yeah. Years ago, when I was starting a new church in West Tennessee, I did a sermon series, and this is what I called it, Oh No, Not Leviticus. It actually went pretty well. The commandment Jesus gives is the most important, again, is known to us as the Shema, from Deuteronomy 6-4, which means, again, as I described in the children's message, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, The Lord is one. And when Jesus said those words, what what the ancient people of Israel and the Jews of Jesus' day heard was that there are not a multiplicity of gods tyrannically controlling different aspects of our existence, but one God who has lordship over every facet of our lives bar none. There is no God of the field, No God of the river, and so on. There is only one God who lovingly calls for our allegiance to him in every aspect of our lives. You know, surveys demonstrate that vast majority of people in our culture say they believe in some form of God. You can see this belief expressed in all kinds of places. Facebook It's kind of a neat place to go for this. Pretty frequently on Facebook, I'll see appeals uh, for others uh, to pray, to pray to God on their behalf. Now, most of these appeals, quite frankly, are honorable and sincere. It's a good thing to have people pray along with us in agreement. But then there are others. And what let's just say from their other posts, it seems clear that when it comes to the daily routine of their lives, God's not... In there very much. God doesn't seem to have much of a place at all. I call this God the break glass in case of emergency God. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Have you ever seen those red boxes, public places that'll have like a a fire axe or a hose or something? And you're not supposed to break that thing unless you really need it, right? And if you don't, you leave it alone. All of us, myself included, we can have a tendency to cry out to God, cry out to Him the most in the midst of personal tragedy or pain. I remember when my oldest son was about 12, and we had just moved here, and the doctors wanted to test him for a very, very, very serious, and I dare say deadly disease. Now, it turned out all he needed was a tonsillectomy can fix that, and we did. But during the week between that time that that request was made for that test and the day the test was taken, that life for me, those days were a living hell. I have never prayed so hard in my life. And I dare say, and I'm being honest with you now, I dare say my prayer life has not been like that since. Not on the same level. Years ago, when 9-11 occurred, I was in West Tennessee starting a new church out there. Um, The next day after that occurred, uh, the city where I was in, uh, one of the large megachurches held a prayer service, a worship service the next day. And the place was filled with capacity, right? A year from then, not so much. The truth of the matter is, vague notions of a a higher power or any other unbiblical understanding of God will never be enough to engender a way of life that will lead you and me in a desire to love the Lord our God with our heart, our souls, our minds, and our strength, nor will it be enough to love our neighbors as ourselves. Know that, that mushy, nebulous God and his doe-eyed Jesus, who all he asks of us, that Jesus, is that we be happy. They will never be enough to fill that natural vacuum in our lives, a vacuum that something else must and will inevitably fill. And the chief God in our American culture that will most quickly rush in to fill that vacuum in our lives is what some folks call consumerism. And when this happens, the good life, we've all heard of the good life, right? And what is that? The good life then will mainly be pursued through the acquisition of things, rather than the pursuit of virtue, which for Christians can be seen the fruits of the Holy Spirit love joy peace patience kindness gentleness faithfulness goodness and self-control but instead this God of consumption rushes in and it forms a powerful alliance with our own desire to deify ourselves and together we push God out of our lives and with the loss of a holy God in our lives we ourselves will then become the sole source of authority for choices, ethics, guidance. And when this occurs, we end up in a vacuous prison of pleasure where the self is trapped not in radical discipleship, but in radical bondage to the not-so-tender mercies of the marketers. Are we having fun yet? Folks, this is all just basic stuff about life in America. We swim in it. And I'm preaching to myself too. Sometimes it's hard to see all of these things because we do swim in it all the time. It usually takes a trip overseas or some other radical disruption to come to the understanding that most of the world does not live like us and that we ourselves are not the center of the universe. Years ago, this folk singer named Bob Dylan, a few of y'all have heard of him, um, he got it right. He said, what, you got to serve somebody. All of us have a God in the sense that all of us will put something in our lives, whether it be money or prestige, power, self, career, love, family, there will always inevitably be something in our lives that will operate as the source of our meaning and strength and purpose, something that we will regard at least implicitly as the supreme power in our lives. So in the midst of all these competing gods and demigods and these forces, these currents that we swim in, how do you and I live as disciples, of followers of Jesus? What would it look like? And how do we respond to God's call in our lives to love Him with everything that we are? Well, number one, we have to walk away from this notion that our lives can be compartmentalized between that which is holy and sacred and that which is secular. The truth of the matter is our God is the God of our entire lives and all the world that He has created. That means that our mission field is all-encompassing because God's sovereign plan is to extend His kingdom into every domain of human existence, whether it be science or art or law, politics, business, education, family, and not merely to be confined within the four walls of a church building. Secondly, It means that we can begin to think of the world around us in terms of three mission fields that God has placed every single one of us into. These are the places where we live, where we work, and where we play. For the rest of our time this morning, I want to fire your imaginations. I want us to think about a variety of things. I want us to explore what it might mean for us to live this greatest commandment as followers of Jesus in all three of these places that I've mentioned. And the first place where we're called to be as missional disciples is where we live. And that is, of course, that would be our homes and our neighborhoods where we live, in our homes and neighborhoods. Now, two concepts to think in this regard are the second greatest commandment, which of course says to love our neighbors as ourselves. Think about that in what I would call and others would call biblical hospitality. In our culture and for younger generations especially, the home has become a place of safety and retreat a place to get away from the evils of the world so that we and our families might be safe rather than a, rather than as a place primarily understood as a place to welcome the stranger and when I talk about strangers I'm not talking about stranger danger right got that strangers defined as those folks who have a loss or a disparity of fundamental relationships. They are lonely, they are disconnected from others. Friends, I always say in our culture, home is where the job is, right? There's a lot of job movement out there and there's a lot of loneliness as a result. But The truth of the matter is, strangers stress us out. They do, having a stranger in your home. But the consequence of not opening our homes to those who are lonely and in need, means that we will have failed to apply the Shema where God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, how do we heed God's call to transform our homes into centers of hospitality for our neighborhoods? Again, I just want to throw some ideas out there. Fire imagines up and allow us to kind of creatively think about a number of things here. Now, mind you, uh, uh, not all of us are called to every one of these. Uh, some of us are in a stage in life where they're just absolutely not uh, feasible. And I do not want to engage in false advertising because some of these things are kind of tough. They require some degree of sacrifice of time and generosity. I'm not neglecting that. But here are some ideas. Number one, identify a single parent in your neighborhood who is in need of weekend childcare and every once in a while, help him or her take the load off for a few hours on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. Here's another. Care for someone who is recovering from surgery. Here's another idea. How about providing short-term or long-term foster care? Folks, foster care and adoption are just about the ultimate in missional discipleship. A number of you already offer this kind of care to the least of these, and quite frankly, you are to be applauded over every single one of us. Here's another. Talk to a local pregnancy agency about the use of your home to house an expectant or a single mother. How about this? Host an international student in your home. Did you all know that 95% of international students who come here to the United States uh, to study for four years or so, 95% of them will never ever step inside an American Christian home. Now here's the rest of that story. They're all curious about us. They want to learn what makes us tick. And then you know the only information they probably ever received is from their media back home. And you can guess what that's like. Wouldn't it be great if they could experience an American Christian home? Just this past week, my wife and I helped a college student from East Germany, We met uh, at this event we host at this church every year called the Southern Hospitality Banquet. It's coming up again Friday, September 4th. And you'll see announcements about this. It is a wonderful, incredible event. We're about 100 international students for the Upstate come, and we just get to know them. Well, Tracy and I piled up uh, with a little girl from East Germany who was studying at USC Upstate, and guess what? As young 20-something girls go, there was a crisis in her life. We were there for her, and we helped her. And I am pretty sure that we are the only God-loving home with whom she has ever had contact. Friends, East Germany is the capital of atheism in Europe. Tracy and I have recently begun talking about housing an international student in our home once our youngest kiddo goes off to college, and we have uh, the space to do so. Now, I talked to my youngest kiddo about this, and he says, No, no, Dad, I want you to move him in now just as soon as Brian leaves. So he's excited about that. But, you know, I started thinking about this. If we have a non-member of the family coming and living in our home, I'm going to have to behave And that's hard for me. <laughs> but it can also be a, a rewarding experience beyond measure. And finally, here's another idea for the first place. Do all the stuff you do normally in your backyard in your front yard. Back, uh, barbecues, parties, things like that. Do it in your front yard and invite the neighborhood. I've got neighbors who are doing that right now, right across the street from me and my cul-de-sac. That must be why they have more friends in the neighborhood than I do. Sometimes it's just as easy as that. Now, these are just a few things to consider, again, how we might live out uh, the first and the second greatest commandment in our first places, the places where we live. Remember, Jesus called us to love our neighbors, right? And biblical hospitality is how we do that. At least it's the first step. Second place God has put us to live out the call of the Shema is our workplace and where we go to school. Our workplaces and where we go to school. Now, some of you are retired. Good for you. Uh, it basically means where you spend most of your waking hours, whether it again be at school or workplace or wherever. The thing is, God is active and alive there too. Let me give you all an example of how this can work. So, years ago, when I finished college, I went to work for the American Express Corporation. Yes, do not leave home without me, right? Remember that? People, coworkers, started to find me. They would seek me out during their break, and they would come back there where I was in order to talk to me. Sometimes, even a line would form. They came, and they wanted to talk to me about their families, about their children, about the pressure they were experiencing in their lives. Now, why did they want to speak to me? Well, for several years there, I had tried to present myself as someone who was not judgmental or a know-it-all. I didn't use bad language, and there was plenty of that going around. Instead, I listened, and I never responded to their stories with things like, well, you just need to do so-and-so, and, and that'll fix it. Instead, I spoke to them out of my own brokenness. And I will say something like this. You know, my own family has had struggles like you're experiencing too, and I found in my own life that when I pray about things, or when I put God at the center of my life, somehow, some way, things begin to come together in a different perspective. Folks, people out there are hungry for this. In a world where people are increasingly uninterested in coming to a church building, they continue to be and remain very interested in God. So what would it mean for us to bring the gospel to them where they work, where they go to school? What would it look like to be a good neighbor in our workplace? What would it mean to extend biblical hospitality to those with whom we work? The third place that God has given us as mission fields in our own communities are the places where we're, the three blanks, places where we go to hang out, play, and relax. Hang out, play, and relax. Okay, quiz. How many of you can remember growing up and in the neighborhood there was a corner drugstore or grocery store or something like that? A cafe, corner ice cream parlor, and all that kind of thing. Now, this is not so much with a younger generation now, right? Why? Because our economy has changed. And I'm, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just what is. But as a result of this... Because these what some call third places have been pushed away from where we live and and hang out and play, and we can drive to them sometimes, but because they're not immediately present to us where we live, sociologists are noting that you and I are beginning to live lonelier and lonelier lives in isolation from one another. Okay, so, example. Just a few decades ago, a full one-third of American families used to gather with other families during the week to play a card game named Bridge. Has anybody ever heard of that? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Now, I bet a lot of you still play that game with friends. Now, members of our younger generation, they pass the time very differently. And so we're thinking in terms of Blu-ray players, and Netflix, and iPhones and iPads. Folks, this is a very different pattern of social connection. And we know from the Scriptures that God has created us not only for a deep relationship with Him, but also for life-giving relationships with one another. Third places are, are those public venues and situations where we go to gather with other people places like the old corner store or a bridge club or a gym, and here, really, the main conversation is just talking, and regular attenders can come and share whatever on their minds. The mood is playful, and the feel of this is is, is of a home away from home. Let me give you a classic example of what I'm talking about here, and maybe we can pick up on the power of these places the power that they can have in our lives. Many of you who've been through the new member class the last few years have heard me share about this. Okay, so back in the 80s, there was this sitcom about a bar in Boston. And um, at the end of the day, the people who were a part of this little get-together, they'd walk through the door, and everybody else who was already in the bar, they would shout out the person's name like, Norm, right? Now what am I talking about? Right? It's a place where everybody what? Everybody knows. And if you didn't show up for work after work to this place like you usually did, everyone would go out looking for you, right? And half the episodes of that sitcom were about people from that bar going out and finding their long-lost friends, trying to figure out what had happened to them. Friends, here's something to think about. Rather than waiting for folks in our community to be attracted to the, quite frankly, very wonderful programs our church offers, what instead of waiting for folks to be attracted by that, what if all of us began to see these three places that I've described, our neighborhoods, our places of employment, where we go to school, where we go to play and relax, what if we began to think intentionally about these three places as the primary spheres where we are called to live out a commitment to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we did this, do you think we would begin to have a different impact on the upstate of South Carolina? Sounds like a great adventure to me. Some people call it kingdom living. Others term it missional discipleship. No matter how we might term it, my sense is from what Jesus says to us here in Mark 12, if and when you and I begin to live and to think and act quite frequently like missionaries to our own culture, that we will not be very far from the kingdom of God. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, fire our imaginations with a holy desire to live for you in all things. And do not let us be satisfied with a routine of merely bringing to you burnt offerings and sacrifices as a pale substitute for a love that gives to you and our neighbors all that we are. Show us in the days and years ahead how we might live as missional disciples in the first and the second and the third place that you have given us. And forgive us when we fail to acknowledge you alone as Lord of our lives. And we pray this in and through your strong and precious name. Amen. Jesus said, Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you need prayer for something or someone in your life? First Presbyterian Church offers a healing prayer service each Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Our prayer ministers will quietly intercede for you or anyone you are representing who needs prayer for physical healing, emotional healing, or forgiveness. Our hope is that you will encounter Jesus, the healer and redeemer, in a deep and meaningful way. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, you will find an experience that is engaging, vibrant, and life-transforming. Please come and join us.